Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. John says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, or had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. We're going to deal with what this second death is next week as we begin to move into the second part of this passage in this section that we're going to get into next week. But what I want to talk about today is just mainly the fact that at the end of the tribulation period, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, we see that these people come to life and they reign with Christ for the thousand years that He's on the earth ruling and reigning Himself. And so... We hopefully, if you remember from earlier in our study of Revelation as we've been going through this, at this point in history, the church has already received their new bodies. That happens at the rapture when the church's bride is taken away and we get our new bodies at that time. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 15. We're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye. And the immortality is going to put on, sorry, mortality is going to put on immortality. He also talked about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, where he says, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and he'll bring, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. We who are alive are going to be caught up to go be with the Lord. And we get our new bodies at the rapture. That's when we get the redemption of our bodies. That happens for the church at that time. But there's different stages of people getting their new resurrected bodies. If We're not going to take the time to turn there. But if you were to go look at Daniel chapter 12, you would see that Daniel was told that he was going, body was, his body was going to go to the dust of the earth. He's going to rest with his fathers. And at the time, at the end of the tribulation period, he's going to actually come back to life and he's going to be resurrected at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. All the Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation period, now again, Old Testament saints are with the Lord. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? God said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And we know that we saw Moses and Elijah were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus there. And they're with him. But they don't get their eternal bodies until the end of the tribulation period. And they will come to life and they'll reign with Christ. And we also see from the passage we just read here in Revelation, the tribulation saints, when they die, they go be with the Lord, but they get their bodies at the end of the tribulation period. At the same time, the Old Testament saints are resurrected. That's when the tribulation saints, those who were beheaded for their faith or didn't take the mark of the beast, they'll get their new bodies at that time and they'll come and reign with Christ for how long? For a thousand years. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you tonight about God's his government during the millennial kingdom. That's one of the things we're going to be covering during the study tonight. We're going to look at the government during the millennial kingdom, those who are reigning with Christ. So I'm going to just go over a few passages we've already looked at earlier in our study to remind you of the fact that the Bible's already taught us that the church is going to rule and reign with him at that time. Go back to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and just verse 4. <clears throat> It says, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. Now, we've already done this study. Who are the 24 elders? 
It's the church. And we remember that from our study. We saw it very clearly that Jesus, writing to the churches, said, I'm going to let you sit on thrones with me. And I'm going to let, give you golden crowns and white robes. And everything he promised them, we now see in the 24 elders around the throne. And they're already there. While this is all going on during the tribulation period on the earth, the 24 elders are already in heaven. So the 24 elders of the church, well, just in case you don't believe me, go to Revelation chapter 2. Go to look at verses 26 and 27. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27, the scripture says this, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give what? Authority, Authority over who? Over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. The one who conquers with me, Jesus says, I'm going to give authority over the nations. And who's he writing to here in Revelation chapter 2? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. In Revelation chapter 3, look at verses 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with, to him and eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, he's promised that we're going to have authority over the nations. We're going to sit with him on his throne and rule with him. Well, when's this going to happen, folks? During the millennial kingdom, as you're about to see, it's going to get very, very clear that we're going to actually rule with Christ during that time period as he rules and reigns over the whole earth. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, just verse 12. It says, if we endure, we will also what? Reign with Him. All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1, 1 2, and 3. Paul dealing with a church that was fighting with each other and taking each other to the criminal courts or to the, the, the courts, secular courts there in that day. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So we clearly see that there is... The difference between this life and the life to come. And in that life to come, we've already seen Jesus promise the church, I'm going to give you authority over the nations. You're going to sit with me on my throne and rule with me just like I sat on my father's throne and I rule with him. The church is going to rule with Christ if we overcome. How do we overcome? The Bible says we overcome by our faith. If you suffer with him, you will reign with him. The Bible is very, very clear that during this time that Jesus comes back and sits on his throne in Jerusalem and rules and reigns over the whole globe, guess what, folks? The church is going to reign with him. One more passage to, to illustrate this, and then we'll start looking at how the nation of Israel is going to rule with him as well. Go to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 19. As they heard these things, Luke chapter 19, verse 11, as they heard these things, he, meaning Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable 
because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. In other words, he, he, thought the kingdom, he knew they thought the kingdom was going to happen right then, and so he told them a parable. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten, ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by, by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in, a ver in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. Do you see it? Why would Jesus say, hey, you're going to be in charge over so many cities? Because we're going to be. When, we, when he comes back and sets up his kingdom on this earth, he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And the church is going to reign with him over the nations. Now, I gave you a handout. And some of these scriptures we just looked at are on your little handout here. You see the, the, the government in the Messianic kingdom is going to be the Messiah. And as you see on the handout, there's going to be a Gentile branch of government from the scriptures and a Jewish branch of government. And the church is going to rule and reign with him, and we're going to rule over the, over the Gentile nations, okay? But what I want to do tonight is I want to take you to some Old Testament prophecies and talk to you about what the Bible says the government's going to look like for the nation of Israel. And I can't wait to show you this, because as I talked about at the beginning, there may be some people here today, and I think a lot of you, that will be really, really surprised when you see what the Scripture literally says about how it's going to work in the, in, the, in the millennial kingdom, all right? The Jews, the nation of Israel, will not only be ruling over the Jews, but they're going to be also ruling over the Gentile nations as well. Go with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. God made a couple of promises to the nation of Israel back when He brought them into the land the first time. And He says, if you do what I ask, the kingdom will pretty much happen right away. And in those promises, we see what it's going to be like in the actual kingdom to come. Because as you know, the, nation, the, the kingdom was pictured in Israel. Remember our definition of the kingdom? How it was prophesied in the Old Testament, pictured in Israel, announced by John the Baptist, inaugurated by Jesus. It's carried on through the lives of the church right now in the church age, through those of us who have Christ in us and ruling and reigning. But it's going to be consummated when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on the earth. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, look at in verse 6 what he says. He says to the nation of Israel, For the Lord your God will bless you as He promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. By the way, how'd that work out? The nation of Israel, when they were obedient to God, He gave them authority over the nations around them, but when they were disobedient to God, what's pretty much been the history of the nation of Israel? Captivity and servitude, and they've been underneath the control of other nations. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Look at verses 1 through 6. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 6. God says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. 
Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed you shall be when you come in and blessed you shall be when you go out. God said to them, you know what? If you will do what I ask you to do, if you walk in obedience to me, I'm going to bless you like you wouldn't believe financially, in your health. And you're going to see all that come upon the nation of Israel when it ultimately is fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. But I want to remind you of something that Jesus said in Deuteronomy, sorry, Jeremiah 31. Go work with me to Jeremiah 31, and then we're going to come back to one more passage that talks about the millennial kingdom and how G the Jews are going to be over the other nations. Go to Jeremiah 31. It's a passage that some of us have know quite well and probably have thought applied to the church, and actually it applies to the nation of Israel. We've been given the same promise because the promises to Israel are ours in the church. But look at what he says in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I'll forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. There's a time coming, God said, when the promises that I made, the covenant that I made, that they broke, I'm going to keep it and fulfill it, and I'm going to write my law in their hearts. Go real quickly to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, look at verse 22. Ezekiel 36, verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you... I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." So keep, stick with me here. God told the nation of Israel, back when he was bringing them into the land the first time in Deuteronomy, he said to them, he said, look, if you obey me, I'm going to make you over all the other nations. You'll rule over them. And I'll bless you in such a way that everybody will know that you're my treasured people. If you don't walk in obedience, what was the consequences of disobeying him? He was going to remove them from the land and they were going to be in captivity and scattered, which was their history. They would call out in repentance. He would bring them back into the land for a period, and then they'd go back out again. And he said, in the last days, though, I'm going to gather you not from the country that you were taken captive to, but from all the countries that you were scattered to. And we know that happened in AD 70 and following. The nation of Israel was just scattered to all the nations. I, in the last days, I'm going to bring you back into the land, and I'm going to erase all your iniquity. There won't be any Jew that says, know the Lord, because they're all going to know me. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans? 
that all Israel will be saved. What's left of Israel that, that makes it through the end will be believing and they will all know the Lord. And what does he say here in the two places we just read in Jeremiah? He says, I'm going to put my law in your hearts and on your minds and I'm going to erase your sin, put my spirit within you and I'm going to move you to follow my decrees. So during the time of the millennial kingdom, the promises that God gave the nation of Israel that weren't fulfilled in their first coming into the land will be fulfilled. And what did God promise them? We already saw it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You're not going to be uh, borrowing from any nations. You're going to be lending to other nations. And you're going to be over all the nations. And I'm going to bless you in every imaginable way so that through you I show my holiness to the rest of the world. Go to Isaiah 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Look at verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 14, verses 1 and 2. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place at the house, in the house of Israel, will possess them in the Lord's hand, Sorry, the Lord's land as male and female slaves, and they will take captive those who are their captors and rule over those who oppress them. So as God sets up his kingdom on the earth, even though we in the church are going to rule over the Gentile nations. And the Jews, as you're going to see, are going to rule over themselves. The nation of Israel will still also be above all the rest of the nations over the whole globe, because where will worship be centered on the whole earth? In Jerusalem, where Jesus is. And you're going to see later on, if nations don't bring their sacrifice and their offering to God, He won't let it rain on their land during that time. He will be ruling with a rod of iron. All right? So, the, the nation of Israel will not only be ruling over their own people, but they're also going to be ruling over the rest of the globe. All right? Now, we saw last week that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be in the kingdom. Remember how Jesus said people are going to come from the east and the west, and they're going to sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom? But did you know that King David, the one who wrote most of the Psalms, the one who was used to God to kill Goliath, did you know that the Bible says that King David will have a prominent place in the future kingdom as well? This is something that most Christians don't understand because they've tried to, we've been taught to just read something and then say, well, what does that mean? I was talking with this one pastor recently who doesn't believe in a literal kingdom to come. He's an amillennialist and he just thinks the kingdom is now. And, but at the same time, he's very teachable, and we, we spent a long time talking about this. And what I told him was, I said, the way that you amillennialists interpret Scripture is like coming to the passage in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where the Scripture says that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you all would look at that and say, what does the donkey represent? <laughs> I said, what does the donkey represent? He goes, it was a donkey. I said, Exactly. And you're now, if you would just come to the prophecies of what's to come in the same way, if it says it, take it. If it's symbolic, the Bible will tell you that it's symbolic and it'll tell you what it symbolizes. Otherwise, believe it. And you'll see that the scripture comes alive when you do that. And the neat thing is, he's willing to look into that and he's starting to dive into the scriptures. And if, if he sees it, it's not because Jim Johnson explained it to him. It was because God opened his eyes to it. So I want you to take literally what you're about to read, because I'm going to show you that at least four times in three different books of the Bible, the Bible has said all along that David, King David, the one that sinned with Bathsheba, in case you weren't quite sure who this guy was yet, 
that King David is going to come back to life as well, and he's going to rule and reign with Jesus in Jerusalem as God's prince. You say, Jim, where does it say that? Go to Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verses 1 through 11. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no longer make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and will by no means leave you unpunished." So here we see in Jeremiah 30, verses 1 through 11, that when God restores the fortunes of Judah and Israel, and He brings them back into their land, He is going to be their God, their Lord and their God, but David is going to be their king. But like I said, don't ever build your theology on just one verse. Let the whole of Scripture speak. Go to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. Look at verses 11 through 24. For thus says the Lord, the, the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. By the way, is this starting to get a little repetitive? I love it. Because we're a little thick and we need it. And bring them back into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with, a, with good pasture and on the mountains and the heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of the clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust it all at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, just like Jeremiah said. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, we've already seen that the nation of Israel is going to be judged. Remember, there's going to be the judging of the nations in the parable of the sheep and the goats, how he's going to gather all the nations when he sets up his throne on the, on the, in the earth, gather all the nations that have survived the tribulation period and judge them according to how they treated Israel. And the ones that have treated Israel well will be allowed to populate the millennial kingdom. The other ones will be sent off. We already saw earlier, though, that he's going to take and he's going to also judge the nation of Israel when he comes back. And he's going to have them pass under a rod. And the ones that make it into the kingdom will be the righteous. The ones that aren't will be out. We see this here. God says, I'm going to judge over my people. I'm going to be the one that judges them. And I'm going to judge between sheep and sheep. That means the people of Israel. I'm going to judge between them myself. And the ones that are righteous, I'm going to bring into the kingdom. And the ones that aren't, they're going to be cast out. But that's not enough. Go to Ezekiel 37. Go to Ezekiel 37. Look at verses 15 through 28. The, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and for the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel associated with him. And join them to one another, one to another in one stick that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm about to take the stick of Joseph that's in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him. And I will join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you, have, you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant who? David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. And they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Isn't this amazing? Here's another place. We've already seen it five times, by the way. And we're not done. We've already seen it written five times that David is going to come back to life and rule and reign on the earth with Jesus in Jerusalem, and he's going to be the prince. Let me go to one more place. Go to Hosea chapter 3. There are others, by the way, 
And those other places that I'm not going to take you to, you have them on your little handout sheet. He's described as the prince, but it's very clear who it is from all the prophecies put together. But go to Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love the cake of raisins. So I bought for her for 15 shekels of silver and a omer and a lethe of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I, will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell in many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or, ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in to fear the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. By the way, all these prophets who are talking about one day David's going to be their king and their prince, written long after David had died. Long after David had died. But God, speaking through them, said there's going to be a day when I bring the nation of Israel back into their land after all the stuff that I put them through. And I'm going to come and rule and reign and I'm going to live there with them. And so will David. He's going to be the prince. If you continue to do a deeper study, you're going to find that there's many other prophecies that talk about the prince, the prince. And it's very clear that it's talking about David. There's actually prophecies that we don't have time to get into tonight. They're going to show you where he's actually going to live and where his portion is going to be in Israel. I'll point out some of that to you tonight as we get to that. Some people have said to me, they said, Jim, how come no one's ever told us this? How come we've never seen this? The short answer is because most Christians today don't believe in a literal kingdom to come. And so if you believe that the kingdom is now, and that there is no coming kingdom where Jesus literally rules on the earth, brings Israel back and saves them and reveals himself for a thousand years and all the things that are about to be promised that we're going to read some more tonight. If you don't believe that's going to actually happen, all you're going to do to teach the Old Testament is just a few stories. You're going to tell people about David and Goliath, and you're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den, and you're going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you're going to tell the stories, but you won't deal with most of the Old Testament, because as you're hopefully starting to see, most of the Old Testament deals with the kingdom to come and the prophecies of when he restores all things to the nation of Israel, like he promised their fathers. And if you don't believe this to be true, how can you even teach these passages? I love the fact that over and over he says, I'm going to restore Israel and Judah. Remember, they had been divided into two kingdoms. And that clarifies it for the people who say, well, the church is Israel. Well, we never were Judah. I'm going to restore Israel and Judah. Talking about the Jews and the nation of Israel. So we just saw tonight six places where four, uh, sorry, three different prophets said that David is going to come back and rule and reign on the earth. Is that going to be kind of cool? We always talked about, man, I can't wait to get to heaven, and I want to meet Jesus, and I want to see David, and I want to meet Abraham. You know what's going to happen before then? Before the eternal state where we spend eternity with God? You may visit him during the time that we're taken up there during the tribulation period. But we're going to be on the earth for it, with him for a thousand years. It's going to be kind of cool. But you know what? Not only will David be their prince, and there'll be other princes. I'm not going to take the time to show you all the other prophecies. I've given you some in your handout tonight that you can look at later. But the Bible also says that the 12 apostles are going to be ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. 
Look at verses 27 through 30. Jesus just finished saying that it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. And I love Peter. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. <laughs> in other words, it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. Peter says, in case you noticed, we're destitute. You know, we, we gave it all up to be with you. That's, pretty, that's good, right? Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world... When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. He said, you guys are going to be over in the new world. You're going to be judging over the twelve tribes of Israel. Go to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verses 28 through 30. Luke 22, 28 through 30. Jesus said, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Again, there's a kingdom coming. And not only has it been given to Jesus, we've already saw back in Daniel that, remember, the, the one like the Son of Man was presented before the Most High and he was given a kingdom, and also the saints were given a kingdom. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus during that time period that is to come. Now, there's more prophecy about princes and judges and counselors during this time, but I'm going to show you some prophecies real quick about how the animal world will be tamed during this time. And, buddy, that's one of my favorite passages of looking at what's to come because personally, there's some things that the Bible says are going to happen that I, I know the Bible's true, but I still, the Bible says we're going to be able to stick our hand in a cobra hole. I was in Thailand years ago when I was asked to teach pastors. I actually did a conference for a week teaching 200 pastors in Thailand. And then some of the time that we had off, they wanted to take me around and sightsee. One of the places they wanted to take me was where they had these cobra shows. <laughs> nope, not interested. They sure, everybody wants to see that. I'm like, no, I am really good. I have no interest because I saw the venue where they do the cobra shows. There's nothing between you and the cobras. I mean, nothing. I said, no, I'm good. But the Bible, as you're about to see, is the Bible says that during this time, things on the earth are going to be so awesome that God promises, you're going to see it over and over, that he's going to make a peace treaty, if you will, between man and animals. Go with me to Ezekiel 34. Yes, go ahead. Great question. Who will we be ruling over? Remember, there will be Gentiles that live through the tribulation period, and they're going to be all gathered and judged by God. And the ones who treated Israel appropriately are the ones who get to live in the kingdom. They're going to be the human beings. They're going to be making babies and living. So we're going to be ruling over all the humans on the earth who live through the tribulation period. That's who we're going to be ruling over. So there'll be a lot of people who There'll be enough to make it that they'll be able to populate the earth. And on top of that, because of the, as you're about to see in these prophecies, things on the earth are going to be so awesome during. The, remember back in the Old Testament when people lived 900 years? Yeah. It's going to be like that again. And so the Bible says if someone dies at 100, you're going to see it. If someone dies at 100, they'll be considered like an infant. So not only will things be good, you're, he's going to bless the womb. And people are going to be making lots of babies. And there'll be lots of people to rule over. And it's during a thousand year period. Go ahead. 
there's death during the millennium. There is, but it's very rare. Is it? There's going to be sin. Yes, there will be sin in the millennial kingdom. Remember, Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron. Why do you think there still be sin? Satan's bound. Why is there still sin in the millennial kingdom if Satan's bound? It's in man. Remember, it's in our flesh. And even though we've been given new bodies and we won't be tempted to sin and there'll be no sin with us, the humans that have lived through the tribulation period, they still got sin in them. And they're going to make babies who have sin in them because it's passed on through our flesh. Revelation says the whoremongers won't be able to come into the kingdom. You've got the nations that won't bring the sacrifices. That's right. Well, and during the tribulation period, humans live through it. At the end of it, during the millennial kingdom, the humans that live through it who have been given righteousness, they're still going to make babies. And those babies are going to be born with that sin nature within us. By the way, those of you that have had children, did you have to teach them to hit? Did you have to teach them to lie? Did you have to teach them to bite? Satan make them do it? Nah, it's just in them. It was in them. It's in all of us. It's in all of us. All right, Ezekiel 34, verses 25 through 31. God says, and I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild, pe wild beasts from the land so they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I'll make them in the pl all the places all around my hill a blessing and I'll send down the showers in their season and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid and I'll provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with, with them and they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. So he said he's going to make a covenant with the, the, and banish the wild, peace, wild beasts from the land. And you can sleep in the woods and not worry about getting bit by nothing. That's going to be nice. Go to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 23. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Talking about Israel. Bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I'll give her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, and in justice, and in steadfast love, and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel and I will sow her for myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy and, and say to not my people you are my people and he shall say you are my God. Again during this time it's going to be so awesome when God restores the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem and Israel and he's going to make a peace treaty with the, the animals. Go to Isaiah chapter 11 this is my one of my favorite ones. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. 
By the way, I read today about a bear attack in Alaska. Some of you saw it in the news. This professor was out there teaching an outdoor adventures class, and he was eaten. He lived, but he was, he was mauled by this grizzly bear in front of all his students. We can't be in the kingdom. <laughs> yeah, it was that, that was a don't do this class. I don't know. He's been doing it for 28 years, but we can't be in the kingdom. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth, earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Again, we don't have to say, but what does the cobra represent? It's a cobra. And you're going to be able to play with it. Again, God will have given me no fear by that time. I believe it. One more passage. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verses 18 through 25. Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. The young shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. Yet while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Again, we see that the animals are going to well, actually, if you do a study of the scriptures, you'll notice that actually it wasn't until after the flood that there was an issue between man and animal. It was all the time between then and when the flood came that the animals all just ate grass. It wasn't until the end of the time of the flood when God had destroyed all the animals except for the two of each kind that were in the ark. That Genesis 9, God says he put a fear of man in the animals and man was allowed to eat meat then and the animals started eating meat and all that. For years, we've seen all these people with movies of, of Noah dragging these animals into the ark, you know, and wrestling the lions is going, rawr, rawr, you know, all this kind of stuff. And read your Bibles, folks. I actually lean toward the fact that they were able to talk with them in some way. Eve was talking with a snake and she wasn't freaked out. 
She actually said, didn't say, hey, um, Adam, the snake's talking. Is that normal? <laughs> actually, if you see, God made Balaam's donkey talk, like, and, and it's no big deal for him. I actually think that there was some kind of communication between man and animal. If you look at the story of how God had all the animals come by Adam, and, and he named them. When Noah gathered two of each kind, it wasn't an issue. That didn't all happen until Genesis chapter 9, after the flood. And we've been in that time period where you don't pet the tiger. But during the millennial kingdom, the Bible says he's going to restore it like it was. And it's going to be awesome. And the animal, hey, I got a daughter who is like freaked out in love with, with tigers, just loves tigers. And there have been a few places that I've actually thought I could get her a chance to, to pet one. There was actually, I was, I was driving through this one area in the middle of Florida, and I saw this guy who had a little thing set up where he had a, a Bengal tiger, and people were able to come pet it. It was on a chain. I rushed and grabbed my daughter and drove back, and he was gone. I actually did pet a tiger in Thailand, and one of those times I was over there, it had to have been drugged like you wouldn't believe. But even though it was obviously on some hydrocodone or whatever they gave me for my knee surgery, but I can still remember the guy saying, don't put your hand there. No, 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 don't, don't get on that side of him. Stay over here. And there was still that fear. Even though I had my picture taken with him, there was still that fear. The Bible says it's going to go away. Folks, there is a time literally coming on this earth. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have to wait for it is right. But what's coming next? Everything the Bible said is going to happen. By the way, the Bible said that in the time right up to that point, Israel's were going to become a, an issue to the whole world. Is that happening or what? <laughs> They're becoming, I mean, good grief. Can you imagine what happened on the news? Somebody actually blows the bus up in Israel, and it's Israel's fault. It's crazy. And our leadership is being a part of this mess, folks. Pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that's only going to come when Jesus comes back. Everything's right on schedule. Read your Bible. Know what the prophecy says so that you'll understand, Lord, everything you say is going to happen is going to happen. We see it coming. Now, there's more, but I think you get the idea. We looked last week at how God promised the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they haven't received it yet. Tonight, I want to show you real quickly how Ezekiel prophesies about a new temple and the future allotment of the land of the nation of Israel. You, you see your, your handout that I gave you here. If you look at the one on the left, this is where the prophecy, or, or sorry, the scripture shows us that the nation of Israel got their land allotments and their inheritances when God brought them into the land the first time. When he brought them out of Egypt and into the land, you'll notice that on the eastern side of the Jordan River there, on the, on the map on your left, you got the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. If you remember, they, as they were heading toward the Promised Land, said, this is good grazing country right here. Can't we just have this land here? And God allowed them through Moses to have it. Reubenites, Gadites, half-tribe of Manasseh. And then he told the rest of the nation of Israel, you, as you cross over, and the fighting men from Gad and Reuben and half of Manasseh, you need to cross over, help your brothers get what God has for them, and then you can come back. And as the scripture shows us in the book of Joshua, this is where they all got their land. But if you notice on the right hand side, and we're going to, we won't have time probably to read it all. But in Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48, you're going to see that the scripture clearly shows where each of the, the nations are, or sorry, the tribes are going to be in the millennial kingdom. And it's a lot, the allotment of the land is totally different. It's a lot bigger and it's also 
not the same as it was back in Joshua. Go with me to Joshua chapter 23, uh, sorry, Joshua chapter 21 real quick. I want to deal with something real quickly, and then we'll go back to Ezekiel if we have time. In Joshua chapter 21, there's something that a lot of people that don't believe in a coming kingdom love to quote. And again, they're trying to build a doctrine out of one verse. In Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, this is after the nation of Israel's come into the land. It says, Thus the Lord, verse 43 of Joshua 21, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And the unbelievers love to bring you to this section and say, there is no coming kingdom. They, Israel already got all that they were going to get. And if you were to read this passage, it's by itself. Sure looks like it, doesn't it? It says that he got all the land that he had for them, and all his promises came to pass. The problem with that is multifaceted. One of the problems is, if you keep reading and just go to the very next book, the book of Judges, you'll see the continuing conquest of Canaan. If they'd already gotten all the land that he had for them, why were they getting more? On top of that, all these prophecies that we've been reading tonight that talk about how in a future time, God's going to give them the land that he promised them, that he promised the forefathers. Why would those prophets have said that hundreds of years later if they've already gotten all the land and already gotten all the promises? Why would the Hebrew writer in chapter 11 twice, in verse 13 and 36, I think it is, say, these died not having received what was promised, but they're going to receive it with us. In the end, folks, if Joshua 21 verses 43 through 45 said they've already gotten all the land and God already fulfilled all the promises, why does the rest of Scripture act like it hasn't happened? The answer must be that at this point, everything that God had for them to that point, they did receive. And all the promises He made for that point did come to pass. But there's more. But there's more. So I want you to understand that that's a danger of taking one passage and saying, well, look at what it says. You know, it sure does look like it says that. But when you take that against the whole of Scripture, that can't be a correct interpretation because it doesn't match up with the rest of the book. And does God contradict himself? No. So what I want to do in the time that we have left is just have you real quickly with me go to Isaiah, sorry, Ezekiel chapter 40. I'm not going to read all of this. I want you to read it on your own in your own time. I'm going to just skim some of our headings in our Bibles because I want you to see chapter 40 of Ezekiel and on starts describing the millennial temple. There's great debate as to whether or not this temple is going to be the one that's built during the tribulation period that the Antichrist comes in and, and, and desecrates. Some people think there'll be a cleansing of that temple and it'll be the millennial temple. There's other prophecies that talk about how Jesus is going to build a temple and the nations or Gentile nations are going to help build it during the millennial kingdom. You ready for the biblical answer? We don't know. But we do know that there's going to be a temple during the millennial kingdom. And this is what it's described as being. And this one you see here is nothing like any of the other temples that have already existed. Whether this is the tribulation temple, cleansed, or a new one that Jesus built? Don't know. The honest answer is we don't know. Remember prophecy that we don't fully understand? We have to just put it in our hearts so it makes sense when the scripture is fulfilled. But in chapter 40, we're not going to read it. You're going to see he, he, um, Ezekiel was given a vision of a new temple. 
And it's nothing like any other temple we've ever seen yet. Not the one that Solomon built or Zerubbabel or the one that was fixed by Herod and enlarged. This is nothing like that. Not only that, you're going to go and you're going to see uh, chapter 44. What does your heading say at the beginning of chapter 44? The gate for who? For the prince. It's David. When you see the prince in the prophecies about the millennial kingdom, it's David. There are princes, but when the scripture says the prince, it's David. And by the way, we won't take the time to turn there, but if you were to read in chapter 47 and 48, you'll see that as they start describing, look at chapter 47. It says that there's a water flowing from the temple. And from underneath the temple, a river started to flow. And it got deeper and deeper and deeper, and it flowed all the way to the Dead Sea, and it turned the Dead Sea fresh. And that whole area became just an unbelievable resort area, if you will. It's going to be an incredible, I, I, I mean, I could sit and watch water flow for days. I could just sit and just, I love it. But especially, personally, I love fresh water. And this is actually going to be fresh water. You ever been to those parts of the world where the water is just so crystal clear? It's just, it's just, you just, oh, it's amazing. You just want to drink it? Go ahead, Duke. That's the Metolius River in Oregon. It comes out of the side of a mountain about 100 yards down and so that they're fishing for salmon in it. Yep, yep. And you see here, if you take the time and read chapter 47 and 48, you'll see about this river, how it's up to this point, it's only ankle deep. But here it gets knee deep, and it keeps going, and now it's waist deep, and here you can't even cross it. And it's going to turn the Dead Sea fresh. And that whole area is just going to be an amazing place. And the Bible says every kind of fish can be, is going to be caught there. It's just going to be an amazing thing. And miraculously, God's going to keep the marsh area salty still. Even though all this fresh water pours into there, the marsh, the swamp area stays salty. It's just going to be an amazing thing. But also, you'll see starting in chapter 47, verse 13, you'll see the divisions of the land. And he starts to say where it's supposed to be and, and where each tribe is supposed to be. And it talks about the borders and what the northern border is supposed to be and what the eastern border is going to be, what the southern border is going to be. And you'll notice that it's way different from what it was when the nation of Israel was there the first time in Joshua. Go ahead. Are you going to say something? Okay. But also, look at chapter 48 real quick. These are the names of the tribes beginning at the northern extreme. Beginning at, you see it? Beginning at the northern extreme. You see, um, verse, thir- uh, sorry, Northern extreme, beside the way of Hethlon to Lebohomoth, as far as Hezen, Hazar Anan, which is on the northern border of Damascus, over against Hamath, and extending from the east side to the west. Dan, one portion, adjoining to the territory of Dan from the east to the side to the west, Asher, and then Nephtali. And you'll see from the top part down, they are given their, their allotment in the Millennial Kingdom. They're going to have their allotment that way. So you'll notice that the, the whole, the way it's going to be in the Millennial Kingdom is different from it was when, it, when they're in Joshua. The scripture says that they're going to get the, be back in the land, and here's who's going to be where. And you're going to take a look, and you'll see that there's a, there's a jump there all of a sudden when it gets to Judah, verse 7, adjoining the territory of Reuben from the east side to the west, Judah, one portion. And then it talks about this whole big section there in verses 8 and following about the whole area for the priests and for the prince and what's going to be the holy section between Judah and Benjamin and how big it's going to be, where the temple's going to be and David's going to be. And then it goes on in verse 23. As for the rest of the tribes from the east side to the west, Benjamin and Simeon and Issachar and Zebulun, all in order. So folks, what I want you to understand is that the scripture has all along described a time that is coming when there's going to be an amazing new temple in Jerusalem and there's going to be a river that flows from it that turns everything just beautiful and amazing and the nation of Israel is 
going to be back there in the land and the tribes are going to be back in their inheritance that God gave them from the north starting up at the top with Dan all the way down to Gad. It's just going to be an amazing time. Can't be what already was fulfilled. It's nothing like what we've already seen. So guess what? It is to come. What we're going to look at next week when we come back together is that at the end of this time period, Satan's going to be released. And he's going to be able to tempt all the people that have been born during that time, during that thousand years, to come fight against Jerusalem and Jesus. And he's going to wipe them all out. And then the new heaven and the new earth and the eternal state is going to begin. Can't wait to show that to you. We'll get to that next week. We'll see you then. Thanks for coming.